0: Good morning. It's really great to be back with you all again. Uh, We've actually spent a lot of Sundays together over the years, probably for 20 years now, been worshiping at Christ the King, although it has been a little while now. Uh, We've been in Greece for 10 years. For the years before that, I had the great joy of uh, being part of this congregation more closely. Uh, Now we're a bit distant. It's a long commute. We're happy to be back with you this Sunday for worship. Um, Let's open our Bibles together to the book of Acts, chapter 11. You'll find this on page 920. It's also printed in your bulletin. Um, Acts chapter 11, verses 19 to 26. We're going to look this morning at the work of the Spirit in the church in Antioch. Uh, Antioch actually one of the main churches, a really big part of the story of the early church in the book of Acts, and we're going to look at the, our first encounter with it here in the book, and let's read this together. This is the Word of God, Acts chapter 11, verse 19 to 26. Now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus. Well, this, this week uh, there was some somber news. I'm sure you've been tracking with uh, in, at some level. Uh, Queen Elizabeth passed away on Thursday. Uh, we live in Europe and we have quite a few British friends and um, they're all quite emotional. Uh, she was really loved by many. She was a kind and gentle and unusual leader in that regard. And if you're like me, you've probably gone down a few rabbit holes, learning about her life and reading stories and looking at old photos of her over the many years in which she was the Queen of England. You know, she never really liked to be in the public eye. She wasn't um, a dominant figure uh, and yet she commanded attention in unique ways. Uh, What's interesting is that over the course of her life, Anytime there was a significant event in, uh, during her reign, she would be there. You would hear her voice on the radio, you would see her on television, um, just speaking quietly and softly and clearly to encourage you, uh, to, to spur you on, um, and, and her people loved her for that although she really disliked cameras and publicity of all those speeches, when it was time and when she needed to, she would emerge. And she did that, she said, because she said, I have to be seen to be believed. I have to be seen to be believed. In the first century, there was also something that you really had to see to believe. And it was happening in the church. In the years after Jesus' ascension, we're in the middle of the first century, maybe around the year 50, something was happening. Not many people had anticipated, although we would say they probably should have. I'm not sure if we would have either, but it was happening. People from every tongue and tribe and nation were believing in Jesus, and multicultural communities of faith were beginning to form all over the Roman Empire. One of those was in Antioch, in southeastern Turkey, not too far from Jerusalem, but farther up into the Western world a little bit. Peter, some of the leaders along with him in Jerusalem, had begun to understand that this must be what God's doing. Um, To be honest, it had been a struggle. It had been a struggle for Peter to come along. God had to appear to him in a vision that you know in which the sheet comes down and, and, he, and he, he sees uh, unclean and clean things coming together and, and he sees that now Gentiles are somehow included in this covenant of promise. And we might say, come on, Peter, you, you were there. You, you met Jesus. He said to you, go, make disciples of all nations. And for us, it's a very ins- inspirational kind of a world Phrase we use it when we talk about missions. Well, we're 15 years down the road, and no one has left Jerusalem yet. And they're not really sure if this good news of Jesus is really for everyone. But Peter has been trying to help everyone envision that this must be theoretically possible because of what God's telling him. And at the end of chapter uh, In the verse right before our text, in verse 18 of chapter 11, Peter explains to the elders in Jerusalem that, yeah, this is probably happening. And it says, they glorify God, and they said, well, then to the Gentiles also God has granted repentance that leads to life. But they'd never seen it. They'd never experienced it. It wasn't really happening in Jerusalem. And they were skeptical. I think they were skeptical. And so when word of what's happening in Antioch comes to their ears, they had to send someone to see what was going on. They had to see it to believe it. And so they send uh, Barnabas. He wasn't the first person from Jerusalem to get there, actually. Others from Jerusalem had gone, it says. There was persecution, which was, I think, God's way of kind of pushing people out. It's time to go let's take this message now it's, it's time it's been 15 years. it's time to roll it out, and so there comes persecution, and people go, and it says that remarkably, um, they show up in Antioch, people from Jerusalem, and they speak the word to no one except Jews. they're, just, they're still going to hold it to themselves. But thankfully, others come from Cyprus and from Cyrene, which is North Africa, and so God has his, has his people, and the kingdom is not going to be thwarted, and so the gospel comes anyway. To Antioch, and the gospel is preached to the Greeks there, the Hellenists. So Barnabas shows up to see what is happening, and what he finds there is pretty remarkable. Um, he finds not just people from Cyprus and Cyrene, but uh, we read in verse thirteen that, he, in chapter thirteen, um, that there in Antioch there were people following Jesus from Egypt, from from North Africa, from Persia, from Syria. From all over the known world, the gospel was at work, and people were coming to faith. And Barnabas comes, and he's certainly curious. I can imagine him on that road, wondering what he will find, thinking about his orders from Jerusalem to go and inspect the situation and bring back a report. Is this a thing? Is this authentic? Is is this anything? And what he finds, actually from the way Luke describes us, is not anything new. He's probably never seen a group of Christians so diverse. That is unique. That was, I'm sure, exciting, of great interest to him. But the point of this passage is that when Barnabas shows up, he's glad because what he finds is, in Antioch is actually something that he's very familiar with something that he knows very well, he sees the grace of God. And he recognizes it. If he was worried at all about this church, he was immediately at ease when he recognizes the very same grace of God that he himself had experienced, the grace of God that had changed his life and work in their life as well. And so we see this uh, in verse 23. When he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad. This tells us something really important. We can tell by the way that Luke describes this event that there's one thing that proved to everyone that this is a true church, that God was at work there. And it should make all of us glad. The presence of the grace of God in the lives of those who believe and follow Christ. And that's what we're going to see here this morning, and that's what what I want us to reflect on a little bit, that the grace of God experienced in communities of disciples from every tongue and nation brings joy to the church and all who see it. The grace of God experienced in communities of disciples from every tongue and tribe and nation brings joy to the church and all who see it. We're gonna ask a couple of questions together. The first is, what is this grace? This is probably the most common word that we use to talk about ourselves. We use it sometimes too easily and maybe it's good to talk for a moment about what it is. If it's the marker of a true church, if it's the thing Barnabas was so excited to see, what was it? What is grace? Well, in its simplest, Definition: It's God giving us something we don't deserve at all, undeserved favor with God. And that is specifically, actually, a relationship with God himself, God who is holy, who is set apart, who is high and lifted up, accessible, not just accessible, but actually dwelling with us, his presence with us. In the Old Testament, it was God coming down in the garden, the creation, and walking in the garden with Adam and Eve. It was his presence. That was grace in its earliest form. Then it's, it's the tabernacle. It's God coming down and dwelling with his people. The whole book of Leviticus is, is about how people can manage their, and to remain clean and stay with God. What, and, and it's all underneath this great umbrella of covenant. It's God keeping His promises to us. That's God's grace. God deciding that we will be His people for reasons we'll never understand. Him calling us to Himself and Him standing in our place to receive the punishment for our sin. And then us receiving relationship, a personal relationship with God himself and as a community to be able to dwell with God and stand in his presence as we do as we gather here in the Lord's house, as we do in our homes, as we pray before him. That presence is God's grace with us. And it's life-changing. We have new life because of that grace. Now, God's grace doesn't make our lives perfect Grace doesn't mean that we don't suffer. It doesn't mean life isn't, it will just be easy now. It's not something idealistic that we just throw around as some sort of solution to life's problems. It's more authentic than that. And it's more useful than that, actually, because we live in this fallen world and we do continue to suffer. Grace is something that we cling to. Grace is our lifeline as we pass through the darkest moments of life. Grace is the joy and the peace that we experience in the middle of tragedy. Grace is the love of God we feel when we are lonely and depressed. Grace is the hope we feel when our dreams are crushed and we feel lost in life. Grace is seeing Jesus, our Savior, died and buried, but finding an empty tomb and knowing He has risen again. It's God turning the suffering into something good. And more than anything, it is God with us. It's God joining us in our suffering, joining us in our struggle here on this earth. That is God's grace towards you. That's what we celebrate. That's the good news of the gospel. Emmanuel, God with us. So over and over in the life of the church in the New Testament, we see that grace is at the center. It, it's at the core of who we are. We are a people dependent on grace. But how do you see grace? Barnabas, uh, Luke tells us that Barnabas walked into town. I'm sure he spent some time meeting people. But at the end of the day, he says, he came and he saw the grace of God. He saw it. What does it look like? You can't really hold it in your hand. Paul writes to us, um, he writes a letter to Titus, We have uh, to read, and it. uh, He says in that letter, the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. It's on the front of your bulletin. The grace of God has appeared. There's a showing of it. It's visible in some way. And what does he say? He says, he said "It's, it's visible because salvation is coming to all people. It's on the move. It's changing lives. It's tangibly altering the lives of men and women and children to become followers of Jesus and to enjoy his presence. It's like the wind. You can't see it, but you identify it by what it does. And Barnabas, spending time with these disciples, could tell that they had been changed by something. The grace of God had transformed their lives. And they put their trust in Jesus as Lord. And he could feel it could see it. In a pagan Roman society, these men and women had made a very strategic and difficult decision to leave their old way of life and to follow after Jesus. It's not a popular thing to do in a secular society or a pagan society. When you are a minority, it is not the easiest thing to do uh, to follow Jesus. Maybe here in America, we, we sense that there it's there's a norm to follow Jesus or to be a Christian or to call yourself a Christian it may even be advantageous to you in some way to say that you're a Christian but in many places in the world in Greece certainly in other places I'm sure in Antioch it was not socially advantageous for you to say that you are a follower of Jesus and so they had made this commitment and Barnabas could sense that that was the grace of God in their lives. Verse 21, said, verse 21 tells us that they not only believed, but they turned to the Lord. It says, Those who believe turn to the Lord. It's, it's more than just statements of faith, it's really a commitment of life. It's a, it's, a, it's a way of life. Faith and works coming together, as James teaches us. And they were, in essence, then not just people. Who said the right things about Jesus, they were in fact disciples of Christ. They were committed to the teachings of Jesus. They were they had decided that they would obey him unconditionally. They would orient their lives towards him completely. They're famously in Antioch called Christians first. We know that verse. It's at the end of our text here, verse 26. In Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. And we wonder if maybe this is the moment when it kind of all started because we love the word Christian. It labels us. It tells us kind of who we are. But actually, it says that the disciples were first called Christians. So they were already disciples. Their identity is that they were disciples of Jesus Christ. They were followers of him. The word Christian was just a label given to them by the Romans, actually. So we can claim it, it does say something about who we are, but at our core, we are actually followers of Jesus, we are disciples of Jesus, which has much deeper meaning than just Christian as a label. I wanna ask ourselves then, if someone came into our church, what would they see? They'd see a church building, they would see stained glass windows, they'd see a pretty good group, pretty good looking group of people here, uh, they would hear church music. It would be identifiable. There are a lot of markers that tell people that they're in a church. In fact, if they came, they definitely did it on purpose because they wanted to be in a church, right? And that's intentional and that's helpful, all of those markers. But like Barnabas, people come into this place actually looking for more. People don't want to know if, if, it's, if it looks like a church. They want to know something deeper about who these Christians are, about who these followers of Jesus are. People come with more pressing questions than just, does it look right? The strongest witness and testimony of the power of the gospel to all who enter those doors and to all who see us as we live out the gospel in our various communities around this city, the strongest witness to the gospel is transparently living as sinners saved by grace, not with pride, but with humility. People who see that that we love one another, that we are gracious with one another, patient with one another, that our lives have been transformed somehow, that is a very powerful statement about who God is. That's what we hope people will see. We want people to see a community of disciples following Jesus and dependent on the grace of God. And that's what we hope to be. This is a place where sinners gather to celebrate God's grace in their lives. We're open about that. This is a place where lost people are found, where broken people are healed. This is a place where people gather to follow Jesus together, to worship him for his marvelous grace towards sinners who don't deserve it. And this is a place where all are welcome. A visible grace reminds us that this grace has appeared to all people, bringing salvation to all people. In our church plant in Athens, which is quite multicultural, we have people from at least 15 different countries on any given sunday we begin every service with this phrase in greek but i'll translate it for you Uh, we get up and and i say this morning i want you to know that here in our church because of jesus christ it doesn't matter where you were born what language you speak doesn't matter if you are a man or a woman old or young rich or poor Here in this place, all are welcome. It might not seem obvious in this text, but that's what Luke is trying to explain. That's what this whole collection of stories is all about. The church in the New Testament era, since the first century, is now a diverse community of disciples that experience together the grace of God. That's who we are. One more final question, and that is, what does this grace do? What is it? How do you see it? And what does it do? Well, we see in this text that it brings great joy. Barnabas is really glad because I think he had hoped that he would find evidence of real faith and of God at work in this place. He was from Cyprus. He probably had a little bit of diversity in his worldview, and i think he was hopeful as he traveled up there that god that this could really be true that god could really be building something diverse and beautiful and that it would have recognizable features that would let him know it was real that he would see there the grace of god and so he was delighted that that was the case and he was also glad because his world just got bigger. He just met a whole new collection of, of Christians, part of the family of God, um, that come with all kinds of new things for him to experience and enjoy. The grace that we share together makes us a family. And we're a really diverse family. There's a lot of diversity even here in this room, in lots of different categories it's so unlikely that we would all be here, but the gospel brings us here. One of the greatest spiritual joys in my life in the past 10 years um, in Greece has been Sunday worship services in our intercultural church downtown Athens. Um, as I mentioned in Sunday school already, you know we have people from all over, we sing in multiple languages together. When we're singing um, in Greek and I see my Greek brothers and sisters singing louder brings me great joy. When, I, when we sing in Farsi and I see my brothers and sisters from Iran, many of them new believers, singing their hearts out and, and us trying to sing along with them as best we can, reading off the board and singing songs we know, but in another language. Um, that is a really, really rich experience because it does exactly what Barnabas says here it reminds me that this grace is it is it cuts through every barrier it cuts it, it's bigger than anything that i could envision and it's as big as only god could could devise as and god could only god could create something so beautiful and yet so connected so diverse but so one and it's, it's a marvelous experience. And we, we eat together food from all over, and um, we talk together in lots of different languages, and there's something very um, eschatological about it. You, you are reminded that you're part of a really, really big story, and it's only going one direction, towards praise of Jesus by people from every tribe, tongue, and, and nation. And there's great joy in that as a follower of Jesus. I think Barnabas got a taste of that when he was in Antioch. And I think he was really happy. I think he was glad for that. He was also glad to see them enjoying it. You can be really thankful when you see God doing for others what he's done for you. We want to see others enjoying God's grace. In fact, a grace that cuts through every barrier that you might think would stand in the way of the gospel changing someone's life reminds you of the power of it and is actually its own fuel. It is is its own fuel to the mission of the church that your joy can be experienced by others and that you can be joyful with them so people ask us sometimes they ask me often like what's your evangelistic strategy for your church plant and actually um it's real simple it's just we joyfully worship god together and people bring their friends because we all hope the same for all the people that we know And people want to be a part of a community uh, where people are moving in a single direction and doing something meaningful, but also where their lives are being transformed and where they're meeting Jesus and there's a great joy in it. It It is a great source of strength for us as a church here in Conchahokan as well to know that the grace that you love and that you enjoy is the same grace that your neighbor can enjoy and that those around you can enjoy, and that we can do that together. And, and that, that has always been the thing that drives the growth of God's church. There's one other aspect to this joy that we experience, and that is that God's people enjoying his grace brings joy to God himself. It's hard to believe that we might bring joy to God in some way. He doesn't need anything from us but we're honored to be a part of it. He says, as we read in our, um, in our Old Testament reading, uh, the scripture tells us that the Lord God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save, and he will rejoice over you with gladness, and he will quiet you by his love, and he will exult over you with loud singing. Like a father or mother that's just so happy to give his love to their children, God is in our midst. He is strong as a father, and he rejoices over us with gladness. He is so happy to see our joy in him. It says God sings loudly about it. What a beautiful picture. God singing over us with joy. He's pleased when we enjoy Enjoy him. He's pleased when we receive his gift of himself. This morning, I want to ask you to think about how much God loves you and how much he cares about you. His grace is what we celebrate. His grace is why we're here. It brings us together. The idea of people who are quite different from one another, gathering, loving one another, worshiping together, is, in fact, unbelievable. It is one of the few places in this world where people can come together with pure hearts to do something meaningful, the church needs to be out on the front of that. We have every reason to be that unbelievable space where people from all backgrounds, all walks of life, meet together, and on Sunday mornings and throughout the week, we are one. We are united in some strange way by this grace of God. It has made us one, and we have a love for each other that is a gift from God. There's a great need for that, because this unbelievable space... Is in fact something that will bring people to belief. There's a lot of skepticism these days about the church, about its authenticity. The church is struggling for credibility right now in society. What is it that gives us credibility? Well, Barnabas walked in and he was convinced because he saw the grace of God. And when people want to know, If this is a real place, if this is a real thing, if this is anything they want to spend their time doing, the first thing that hits them when they meet you, when they see this community should be, this is a place where I see the grace of God. I see sinners being brought to Jesus. I see lives transformed and I see God at work. So this morning, I want to encourage each of you to remember who you are. If you are here and you're trusting in Jesus Christ and you're committed your life to following him, then you are a disciple. As you follow Jesus Christ, don't hesitate to embrace the outsider as a full heir of grace. Be the beautiful body of Christ together. My prayer is that your neighbors, people in this community, people that you work with, that you go to school with, All who know you and who know each of us would see in you all the grace of God and be glad. Amen. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we um, can do nothing except thank you this morning for your grace. We are thankful uh, for the beautiful things that you make we are thankful that you bring together your people and make us one we celebrate um, uh, the work of the holy spirit and the grace that he gives us and the presence of god that we experience through him because of jesus christ and we do that together with one voice because we are your people because we are a family And Lord, we ask that you would just give us a fuller understanding of what this grace is. Help us to love it more and more. Help us to live in it more and more, to enjoy it to the fullest. We pray that it would transform our lives. We pray that people would see it and be glad. May it give us great joy as we live in your grace together. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.